Hi there. We have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying the DLC Live podcast and you're listening on a platform that lets you leave a rating or a review, leave us a five-star rating. Maybe take a minute to write a quick review. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to DLC Live, your source for educational and inspirational interviews with mental health experts and advocates from around the world. Now, here's your host, creator of the DLC Anxiety Worldwide Mental Health Community, Dean Stott. Hello everyone, take two. Um, hopefully you'll be able to hear the mic okay. So it's the CBT Dropping Clinic with Kimberly Quinlan. Today we're speaking about CBT and how it's helpful um, for depression. We're also going to speak about the January blues. Is it a real thing? Is it made up? Do we feel low mood at this time of the year? And what's the reason behind that? And also we're going to be looking at the steps that you put in place with a therapist if you go to them with low mood or depression and how that can help you overcome it and put you in a better mental health space. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, please stay tuned and, um, yeah, enjoy uh, listening to myself and Kim. Good can morning. you hear me now, Kim? Perfect. Much better. Is it? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so apologies for that. So let's just do a quick recap. Um, so initially we were just speaking about January blues. Is it a thing? A lot of people in the community have been saying that they've got low mood, um, more so than any any time like they can remember previously. And what do you think the reason behind this is? Do you think it's because we're trying to now come out into the open uh, and live our lives, but we still have COVID, COVID there, for example? Or do you just think like it's maybe a result of all these lockdowns and it's really tired us out and we're just at the wit's end? Yeah, I think that we every year probably have some January blues. I think if people set too high a goals, they go into the year going, yeah, I'm going to do all these amazing things and January life really starts to happen and things get into trouble that way. And so, yes, setting unrealistic goals can definitely have you kind of crash mid-month. I think this year in particular um, is very, very difficult for people because they're exhausted, they're burned out on COVID, they're overwhelmed and they're grieving. So I think this has been a particularly tough January. Yeah, we just mentioned before goal setting. Now, it can be good to motivate you and make these small steps uh, going towards recovery. But goal setting can also be a negative, have a, have a negative impact. It all depends how you use goals. If you're using it and then, like you say, you have this negative outlook that you haven't reached this goal and then your inner critic turns up. Uh, we know that that's the way we speak to ourselves really matters and that can affect our mental health. So it's really, really important to, if you are goal setting, to do it correctly and be kind and compassionate for yourself. Yeah. And realistic, I think, are the big pieces. Again, I think we, we're human beings. We love fresh starts, right? We love yeah. you know, clean slates. And so we love this idea of making resolutions and putting goals together. But if we, if we don't really understand the science that goals are something, you know, changes in our behavior and habits are something we build on, um, then we can get ourselves into trouble. Because if we just set all these amazing ideas um, without setting systems in place to create those, you know, ha that happening, we can be very let down and feel like we've let ourselves down, which can cause a lot of, you know, depression and sadness. 
Yeah. Um, I, I feel that I have it um, to a T goal setting for myself because I, I think I need these little goals uh, for a little bit of structure. Um, and if I don't hit the goals, it's real. This is the really important part. I then I don't think of it negatively. I don't start to tell myself, well, you haven't hit it. So that's not a success. What I then do is reevaluate the goal and make it more realistic, something that's more approachable, something that keeps me motivated to carry on. And I feel that that's a system that works for me. So, yeah, setting realistic goals and not being hard on yourself. Uh, a lot of mental health is the way that you speak to yourself. Like I mentioned before, when, we, when we're anxious, we're, we're always looking and speaking about this threat and danger that isn't there. And with depression, we're often thinking negatively and our self-esteem is, is rock bottom. So it's super, super important um, to really identify the way that uh, the, the way that we're acknowledging our thoughts. And I think that's where CBT comes into play. And I just want to uh, speak about the community members, Kim, that maybe are feeling low and maybe worried that we're in, what was what it, week two or th week three now of, of January, and they might still be thinking, well, I'm still feeling low and worrying. At what stage would you say that they should reach out for help um, if the low mood is sticking around? Well, I'm always biased, right? I'm always going to say, like, you don't have to hit rock bottom to reach out for help, right? Mm -hmm. Ideally, if you're struggling in any way, you would reach out to a GP or you're a doctor, a therapist, or even a close friend um, or a trained mental health professional um, to, to get help. Because, again, you don't need to be severely depressed in order to get help. Yeah. Um, but that being said, if you are noticing, you know, that you're struggling to function, like you said, a lot of your thoughts are very negative. Um, you have not a lot of hope about the future. Definitely, it's important that you do reach out. Ideally, you know, there are multiple modalities you could try. I'm a CBT therapist. And what we do with that is we look at your thoughts and we work at adapting maybe some thoughts that aren't so helpful with depression. Often there's a lot of negative thoughts. And then with be in behavioral therapy, we actually then look at changing behaviors. And so doing those two things can actually make big changes in your life. But they're baby steps, right? They're little baby steps in making change. Yeah. And obviously, um, when you look at depression, they say that the combination of medication and CBT often has the best results for if it's not just mild depression, if it's maybe more moderate um, or severe, then sometimes medication can help to engage in the CBT therapy. Mm -hmm. um, I've often seen as well from the community online that some people say that CBT isn't useful for, de for depression. Now, obviously, when I've looked at the science and I've read the science, the science would disagree with that and say that it's very effective to um, really zone in on the, the way that we're thinking and change the methods of of what we're thinking um would 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 cbt be something that you would use if someone was coming to you specifically for low mood and depression yes yes however the science has actually proved for depression that a mindfulness-based cbt is more okay. beneficial and efficient in, in regards to treatment than just basic CBT. So you would add that mindfulness piece. A lot of the, the reasoning for that is when you're depressed, 
or when you're having these strong negative thoughts, they feel like they're real. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can really understand that. It feels like they're the truth. Like you feel like your brain's telling you all the facts. And so the mindfulness piece can actually have you just learn to just see those as thoughts instead of see them as facts. And when you do that, it actually then helps you to be able to practice changing your thoughts or changing your behaviors or reactions to them. Often imagine like if we broke it down, if you had a thought like you're terrible and everybody hates you, if you took that thought as a fact, you might want to go to bed and pull the cover for you and, and check out of the day. So then what you would do is if you were able to identify that that is just a thought, it's not a fact. Guys, can you still hear Kim? I think we may have lost her with the with the signal. Um, yeah, um, hopefully she'll she'll hop back on. But that's super important what she's speaking about the mindfulness connection with CBT and using mindfulness and CBT together instead of just traditional CBT looking at the thoughts. Um, when I know I saw that she froze, I will try. I don't think she's paid the the internet. May I think they've cut her internet off. Hopefully she's coming back soon. I'm yeah, sorry. you haven't paid that internet bill, have you? That's what it is. Your your face was spinning and I thought you had gone, but I'm back. Sorry, yes. I don't know what happened. So let me go back to what I was saying. Forgive me yes. for that. Um if you have a thought and you think it's a fact, you will respond to it as if it's true. Mindfulness helps you to see that thoughts are just thoughts. They're not facts. They're just little sentences that go through your brain. And then if you can then change your reaction by not treating it like a fact and maybe just treating it like a thought, now you've got this massive ability to your, where your mind isn't making up all your decisions and your mind isn't lying to you that way. So that's why that mindfulness piece is so important. Yeah, what I would say is um, when you're thinking, it's, it's very autonomous. So you don't even realize um, why I think a lot of the problem is, is that it's hard to disengage away from the thinking. You don't you can't you don't even realize that you can do it. You don't but you don't believe that the thoughts are a separate entity. It's almost like just just you, you sat there, these thoughts are happening and everything else is happening. You're breathing, your heart rate's going, whatever. You're just being. Um, so I think a lot of people find it hard to disengage from the thoughts and, and think that also when they're, when they're thinking these thoughts, it, it's making them feel shitty as well, which right. is then it's almost like reinforcing that these thoughts are real because they must be real because I'm feeling this way. Um, and I think CBT is great in the way that it approaches that our behavior towards thoughts and that it's super important not to engage with these irrational or self-critical thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then if you can actually spread on some self-compassion to that, you've got yourself this amazing like treatment, right? So if you can identify that a thought is just a thought instead of beating yourself up and identify a feeling is just a feeling without beating yourself up and responding. And then if you can actually be gentle with all of the emotions that you're feeling, um, that is that is like the perfect combo, right, is to also really wrap yourself up in a ton of kindness um, because often depressive thinking is so, so mean mm. and so, so painful. So absolutely. What would you say to the people in the community that say it's easy to say disengage from these thoughts, 
but these are happening all the time and they're making me feel really shitty and I don't have the motivation to do anything. It's, it's easy to say just step away from it or just be mindful in the moment, but that's not going to change the way that I'm uh, thinking or I'm feeling. What would you say to, the, to people um, with that mindset? Yeah. Uh, And that's why I really bring in the compassion piece is even when your mind is screaming at you and you're having a really hard time engaging in using skills and disengaging from the thoughts, sometimes just making space for the thoughts to be there and being gentle with yourself while they're there can be really helpful. But again, we also really emphasize behavior change. It's not just uh, disengaging from thoughts. If you're um, you know, often when we're being berated by these thoughts, we kind of freeze or we we kind of tense up. And so sometimes directing yourself to an activity that you know you can be engaged in, like for me, it's jigsaw puzzles. I can be really mindful of when I'm doing a jigsaw puzzle or I'm baking. What, what would you say to the people who say that that's a form of distracting away from the emotions? Well, this distraction isn't always bad, right? As long as it's not your only tool and you're not overusing it, there will be times when you're at a 10 out of 10, totally you feel like you're about to dysregulate. That distraction is actually a healthy coping tool. Again, as long as you don't do jigsaw puzzles all day long. Yeah, it becomes your, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes we do. A a lot of what we use in, which is called dialectical behavioral therapy is using small behavioral changes just to shift you out of where you're getting stuck. But you do have to come back into your daily functioning. But distraction isn't always a terrible thing, particularly when you're dealing with depression. Yeah, same with practical tools as well. When you speak about CBT therapy, like you say, now mindfulness has become such an integral part into it. And also meditation and journaling, we know that are really good tools um, that are useful and and the science behind these things working. So I think um, a lot of people, um, they, they worry that, well, if I try this, then maybe I'm I'm not focusing on how I'm feeling, and I'm I'm almost trying to like put like put a plaster over it or take a paracetamol because I've got a headache, but the headache's still there. What we're saying is that by distracting yourself and bringing bringing the emotions down and just letting the emotions pass through, that's not always a negative. No, not always. No, again, like it, it, my handle is called Your Anxiety Toolkit, mainly because. No one tool is is going to get you through. You need to have like a whole range of tools and you have to be practicing them. So often a question I'll ask my clients is they'll tell me about an uncomfortable event or a difficult time and I'll say, what tools did you use? Now, if they tell me, well, I use distraction or I use mindfulness, I'll often say, we, we have to be able to bring in other tools because this is exhausting work, right? It's yeah. very exhausting. And so you have to be able to be flexible and shift to use multiple tools. One tool alone probably is going to be very problematic. Um, so I know we're speaking about depression. I just saw um, someone put about anxiety and we know that there's a, a big link between anxiety and depression. So I suppose, what if the anxiety doesn't, what if the anxiety doesn't pass like all day or night? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple of things. <clears throat> Number one, you can consider a medication if that's something that lines up with your values. Another question, I love questions. I think questions are amazing. But a question yes. I ask you is, 
Are you engaging any behavior that keeps the the anxiety and depression going? And a really helpful way to think about this, because that's not me saying that you're at fault or that you're doing something wrong, but even me being as skilled as I am sometimes can catch that I'm using catastrophic thinking about certain things or I'm not getting some lifestyle changes. I haven't stepped outside. I haven't gotten some exercise. Maybe I am thinking all my thoughts are true and I'm not really practicing that disengagement. So it could be that, you know, that there's something you're doing that may be actually keeping it going, beating Mm -hmm. yourself up, you know, saying really critical things. Another huge one is self-punishment. A lot of people go, I'm not doing compulsions. I'm not doing anything, but they're punishing themselves all day. And so that can be something to look at. Um, But another thing is, yeah, some of us, I'm, if it helps, I'm just, my DNA is anxious. I'm an anxious person, even though I'm happy and I'm fulfilled and I'm functioning. There's just that little rev in me all the time. And so for me, it's actually just letting it be there and not giving it any attention, right? Like no big deal. I don't even let it change one part of my day so maybe it's about acceptance and being gentle with yourself as it rises and falls on its own yeah and again i'll bring it back to the uh, to the plane thing there that we spoke about and i was mentioning to you i'm doing all the tools i'm doing everything right and when we broke it down we realized that i was doing these small subtle things that was uh, seeking reassurance and keeping me in the anxious loop so that could be something that could be happening with this person they might be thinking yeah well i'm using this tool i'm using this tool but not not looking at the bigger picture and seeing that maybe there's some little behaviors there that not, they might not even think is causing them to stay in that anxious loop that is causing them to do it uh, and that's where therapy really helps isn't it especially um if you have the access and and tools for therapy it all, even people coming in and listening to a therapist and myself, it's really useful listening to these things because you can start to identify the things that um, that you might not be able to identify on your own. Yeah, exactly. And listen, therapists go to therapy too. Even though you understand it all, sometimes you need someone else. Like, you know, you're, you're as skilled about this as, as anybody, Dean. But sometimes you need someone else to hear it to catch what behaviors may be happening in the background. So, 100%. you know, if you've got a supportive friend or, right. you know, a medical doctor or someone you can go through that with, they might be able to help where you're still getting engaged in that loop. 100%. So I hope that answers the question for the um, for the person in the community. So I just want to go on to... so. hypothetically let's say I was in a low mood I came across all the amazing work that you do so someone just put they bought your time course which is amazing guys the link for that's actually in my bio it's an amazing course if you like everything that Kim does you're going to love the course and it's all about clawing back time and putting structure into your days and weeks and just being the the best version of you the most efficient version of you and Kim really dives deep into that so if you like that the links in the bio but Kim so let's just say I had low mood and I came across everything that you do and I wanted to engage in therapy with you how does it first start so I approach you and then is there a valuation stage what can you just talk me through what would happen yeah so I do an assessment first I'd want to know about what your day looks like 
um, what your mood looks like, what your anxiety looks like, what your support system looks like, and we would fully do an assessment. Once we would do that, we would then give you a ton of education about what treatments work and what treatments aren't so successful and why maybe you're stuck in this loop because there is often is a loop. From there, as soon as I've given you some psychoeducation, we go to work, right? And I always first look at, and this is why I made the time management course, is we look at people's day because if the day is very unstructured, their mind tends to be very kind of all over the place as well because they've got lists of things to do. They've got things they want to get done. And and human beings actually get a lot of sense of worth in their day and what they get done. Even though we don't want to over-prioritize productivity um, for your value. So we would look at your day and I would say, what, you know, what does your day look like? How can we implement things that can make you better in your mind like you know making sure you get breakfast and you've eaten your meals you have to eat otherwise if a lot of people who get depressed stop eating but then you can't think straight and then when you can't think straight it's harder to use the tools so when the energy as well yeah no energy going to the bathroom as crazy as that sounds it's a huge thing a lot of people when they're down just stop going And then they're uncomfortable and they're nauseous. So we schedule that. Um, We look at a lot of things like getting exercise, getting time to schedule to do certain behavioral and and mindfulness skills. And then we look at changing thoughts, right? So we've looked at the behaviors and then we look at like what thoughts are you having? We may correct a lot of your thoughts. So here is an example. If somebody said... if If I came to you now and I said, right, I've got a list of these 20 reoccurring negative thoughts that I'm having how would you approach that would you ask for a list of them would we write them down together hey I just want to know really how we would engage in sure. that part. yeah this is the good juicy stuff so here is something for you all to think about Co- commonly a client will come to me and say I have negative thoughts all day hundreds and thousands of them and so I have them just get a basic piece of paper And I have for one week, I want you to keep track of them, right? I'll probably give them some skills because I don't want them to be overwhelmed by negativity that they're down. But what you'll find is often you don't have 10,000 negative thoughts. You're having the same 10 thoughts over and over again. And that is a relief for people often to find that there, it's not always 10, it could be a little more, but often we're having the same handful of negative thoughts over and over again, but they feel brand new every time we have them. Mm -hmm. So what you do, I actually have a free training on this. If people are interested, um, I can share that at the end. But what you do is you have on the left, you write all of your negative thoughts and you draw a line down the middle of the page And then on the right, we work at correcting them. So what I would encourage you to do, and we could do this, you know, is come up with a thought and imagine that you're in front of a jury at a court case and we're here in court to decide whether it's true and factual and helpful. Now, when you think of it like a court case, you saying things like, I'm going to amount to nothing the jury and the court and the judge are going to throw that case out because they're going, you got no evidence. Yeah. You got no evidence. 
this this is a court case that is a waste of our time because you're saying something with no evidence, no reason, no meaning. And so we want to start to think about our own thoughts that way. Is, is there any evidence to what you're saying? Because in the US judicial system, I know in Australia, I don't know about England, but you can't just go and accuse people of things for fun. You have to have some proof in order for it to be true. And so in this case, yeah, thinking about your thoughts and actually stopping to go, is that even reality? Is me saying nobody loves me? I'll never find love. Is there any reality? You might have the thought be saying you'll never find love, you'll never have people who love you because of one thing that happened in your life, maybe one person treat you not so well. But then we would, if we were in court, we would, the jury would say, but what about other relationships? Show us more proof that this is true. And we would explore thinking in that way and start to pull apart where there may be some issues with your claim And then we'd look at it from that perspective. So a lot of that cognitive piece you will probably find on your list is none of them would stand up in a court system. They would throw the whole case out. And so then your job is start to come up with responses to that that are kind and true and helpful and rational. Yeah, um, that's that's really interesting. Um, I used a, a similar analogy with like, be your own thought bouncer. You know, I don't know, doorman bouncer. So if you're trying to get into a club um, and it's because of the way that you're thinking, how are these thoughts relevant to get you in? It's very similar analogy to what you were saying then with the court. So I really, really like that analogy. And it really um, makes the person dive deeper into that thought and and begin to question and begin to realize that it's not a fact because like you say a lot of people think that thoughts are facts and we just take them on face value mm-hmm. maybe because of the way that they're making us think and the way that they're making us ruminate and the way that they're making us feel but then when you put it on paper really look into it and really try and get the evidence so I like in your case to mention to the jury to say hey this is the evidence of why this is true. When you can't find that, you then start, it it, auto, it, it gets away from that automatic thinking and you start yeah. to explore a different way of thinking. So, yeah, yeah I really, really love that analogy. Um, yeah. that you and you just hit the nail on the head with it. It's often automatic. Sometimes I've had clients who have thought this thought their whole life, but because they actually haven't ever stopped to question it, when I ask a couple of questions like, well, where is your evidence of that? They kind of embarrassingly giggle and they're like, I've never considered that that thought wasn't true. Yeah. And it's just that automatically they've been responding to it as if it's been true their whole life. And so that simple tool can be very life changing. Yeah. And with myself, I always say and I always always mention it that I used to think that thoughts would be uh, would be more feel like more like facts because of the response I was getting from them. So if I was thinking a, a irrational thought and then I have this anxious response, I'd be like, oh, this is really, really true because it's making me feel this way. Yeah. So, yeah, I really like that, Kim. So we we write down the thoughts. We then look behind the evidence of, of is this thought true and would it hold up in, in a court of law? We figure out that, hey, 
this way you're thinking isn't isn't 100 percent true and there is there is, there is cracks in the system what what do we do then yeah well the truth is changing your thoughts alone is probably not going to change everything sometimes it does change it for people but often they'll say but I feel it to be true I feel it to be true and with that is actually a form of um, cognitive error as well we call it emotional reasoning emotional reasoning is the error that you think something is true just because you feel it to be true and then we would go back and practice mindfulness which is okay can I tolerate the feeling that it's true but change the behavior so that it's actually moving me in the direction I want. So we may actually do a behavioral analysis. Okay, you have the thought that you're a terrible person and that you're you know, not lovable. How are you acting about in response to that? Does the acting actually, how you respond to it, does that actually get you the, the goals that you want? No. Like me going to bed and pulling the the covers over doesn't get me out and meeting my friends and, and so forth. So you'll say, can you tolerate that it, whether it's true or not, we don't need to solve that. And can you act in a way that actually moves you towards your values, what you want? And so then you start to have conversations on how do I choose to act in this situation? Despite the thought being there, how do I, what do I choose to do? So uh, a really great one is, nobody wants to really get exercise right like it's not that fun it's good at the end but it's not fun you don't no one wants to do it so you're having the thought I don't want to which is true you don't want to but you really want to make a decision on how what how do I choose to act what would bring me to the the value of taking care of myself and can you start to respond in towards your values instead of towards your thoughts so that's another just with that situation, how about if someone has the the feeling towards exercise as well? So the lack of energy, no no motivation, and they feel like, hey, well, I can't engage in exercise. How would you approach that feeling? The same. So I would get a piece of paper and we draw a line down the middle again and we go, okay, when I have the thought that I don't want to exercise or let's say the circumstances exercise, how do I normally respond? Well, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I don't want to. Okay, so you don't exercise. On the left side, what is the result and consequences of not exercising? How, you know, pros and cons list. How does it help you? How does it not? And then you yourself can make a decision. You get to decide whether you don't have to exercise if you don't want to. You decide whether you want the pros and the cons of not exercising towards the pros and cons of exercising because there's pros and cons to everything, right? The the pro to not exercising is you don't have to exercise. You have the relief of not exercising. But the con is you probably don't get the benefit of it either. So you get to make a value-based decision on what you want to do and how you want to act in your life as well. You get to choose. I never tell clients what to think and what to act. How important would you say it was if they decided, hey, I've looked at this pros and cons list. I've I've really looked at the balance and I can see that exercise is really helpful for me and I want to engage in it. If they then engaged in it and had a positive response, would you say that it was really important for them to write that down or, or really notify that they've done that? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it's important that we always look at the pros and cons and celebrate when we have a win. 
Um, so yes, definitely. I think it's helpful to do a big part of our wellness is to, we call it a functional analysis, but for us, it's pros and cons is really stop once a month and look at the pros and cons of the things you do in your life. Don't be afraid to analyze, like, is this behavior working for me? Right? Like, is it, it, how's it working for me? And have a look and really look for yourself and celebrate if it's helping you. And if it's not, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It just means it needs a little tweak. So absolutely. I think that it's important to do a little, a little assessment on how you're responding and whether you think there's a better option for you. Well, you think about it. We even our Jeremy in our cars, we evaluate maybe once a month and yeah. make sure all the levels and everything's working. Then why not? Why aren't we doing that to ourselves? So yeah, we really need to. I love that um, idea of checking in on yourself and evaluating your your life as a whole, the pros and cons, what's working and what isn't. That's really good. Um, regarding timeline, Kim. So if I was engaging in all this, um, I'm seeing positive results. Is there a specific time that you would spend with someone who who had low mood? Um, is there like any guidance to how long that they should have therapy for, for depression? Well, I'm just going to say is as long as you need, right? Like ideally, you don't have to, again, you don't have to be at rock bottom to have mm. therapy. We take our car for a check-in. Like you just said, there's no nothing wrong with having a mental check-in with your therapist even really, no really encourage it yeah i think it, it, people would be it'd be so beneficial for people who are at, they feel like they're at the height of their mental health um and really positive to to still have a therapist there to to help them um i, I think yeah like you say being at rock bottom we d- doesn't always have to be a crisis intervention does it no no in fact for me i find that i, I mean i go to therapy i find that I show up better in my relationships, even though I'm doing great comparative. I mean, COVID's hard, but even if I'm doing great, I can be addressing stuff with my relationships or how effective I am at work. And interestingly, the thoughts you have with depression, they do show up in other areas of your life, right? Like I'm not worthy or or I'm not going to be successful. Like it shows up in many areas. It's not just when it comes to daily life. So I think that it's absolutely helpful to go into therapy. But I I also think it doesn't have to be one-on-one. It could be group therapy. It could Mm. be a support group. Um, You could, depending on what you're struggling with. So absolutely, I think that that's crucial. But again, if you don't have access to that, journal. Be every week do a check-in on what thoughts you're having every week do a check-in on what behaviors are working and whatnot if you're feeling pretty good you could actually do that on your own yeah I, I well as you know when I went through a panic disorder I did the CBT and self-help almost my by myself really engaging in psychoeducation no Jeremy and I did psychology at university so I knew about CBT and I knew about the modalities and how it helps uh, mental health but I I wasn't engaging with a therapist at the time um, and I really saw the benefits like you say of the tools that are available go into the resources that are available that are trusted looking at the science and really uh, engaging with my path and being compassionate and kind towards myself. 
And I think that's really important to say because not everyone is in a situation where they can engage in therapy. In some places, it costs a lot of money, for example. But uh, that's why I really like what you do, Kim, because you've you've identified um, this area and then you've come with these courses and now you're doing the time management course, which is practically is a ridic ridiculously low price. And you're just offering as much support as you can to as many people. Do you know what I mean? You're offering this work worldwide so seeing that you're doing this and seeing it's just beautiful isn't it seeing so much psychoeducation out there because I know at the start of my journey there was nothing like this so I, I feel like we have to celebrate the wins in that obviously the mental health community has a lot to do and there's, there's pros and negatives but I do feel like in the last 10 years we've come a long way and there's a lot more education for people now uh, 100% 100%. And yeah, it's such a joy. To, I'm loving these little tools, right? Because having me like, oh, this is the next big, big tool. So I would love, love, love. I'm loving having those. And, and I do think that now, because we're all having these conversations, and people are hearing like little things that they can take and try on for themselves, like, how does this work for me? Does it work for me? And I think that's the beauty of it. And when you mentioned journaling, which uh, when you said that you could approach that by yourself, I thought it was really important what you said earlier, that try not to focus on just negativity, because if you're just putting that down, so you're you're having lots of irrational and negative thoughts, then like you say, you could that could continue, that could like keep you in the loop, couldn't it? Mm -hmm. If you're constantly looking at these negative thoughts. So I love that idea of what you said that you'd put in other tasks, did you say, um, just to like break it up? Yeah. So there's new research to show, and I don't think we've talked about this before, but there's new research to show that if you're having self-talk or journaling, which is really important, that you first address it to yourself. So you would say Kimberly first. There is science to prove that when you start either your, your self-talk um, positive self-talk or journaling is to address yourself right so Kimberly you know here is what I need you to know today if you address yourself the science shows that you're less likely to go into negative self-blame and to move more towards addressing the problem and then addressing a possible solution it doesn't have to be the right solution because you may need to try multiple things before you find the solution but starting any journaling with your name and addressing yourself first has shown to reduce just ruminative journaling we don't want to do ruminative journaling which is like you're terrible you're the worst all these bad things are going to happen and everything's terrible and all that that can actually make you feel worse yeah. but if you can address journaling as writing how you really feel and then looking at is there any like I get a highlighter after I journal and I highlight any areas where I may need to like a, take a little look like that's not true. Highlight that one. Let's make sure we correct it. Or that's totally ineffective. Like I just want to go and yell at them. Okay. That's not going to help. How, what would be a different behavior? So that you're looking at it as if you're a scientist and you're yeah. trying to. Or as if you're in court, like you mentioned before. Yeah. 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 So make sure your journaling isn't ruminative. Make sure that you're of course getting it all out but then also finishing up by coming up with some solutions for trial. 
Yeah, I love that. Um, so I think that's a great place to leave it this week. And I, I really want to ask the community who's still here that if they want to write down some some um, irrational thoughts or low mood thoughts that they're having uh, and bring it like next week and we can explore these thoughts and, and really look at is there evidence behind these thoughts? Because this is why we're doing this. It's a CBT educational um little engagement with our community and it's really important and kim you said that there was free information uh, for people was it a free video was it or so if you go to cbtschool.com in my resources i have a free training which is called catching your Ir- irrational thinking um and so I, I think on the on the main page it says correct your irrational thinking And it's a free, it's about a 40-minute free course that I have for people to teach them how to do this. So I would definitely get that now because I will eventually be making that into a bigger course. But for right now, take advantage of it. It's a really, really great quick training on how to do that. Yeah. And after this, Kim, if you just send me the link for that, I'll put it up in the stories as well. So everyone, you can grab that. And also my link in the bio, Kim's got a new time management course, which is already getting really good reviews. Um, I really think that people should should go on it. The price point is amazing, $27. And it's really, really helpful because we know that, like you say, a lot of our time is like, meshed into one and having a structure can really help and and that's something that I explored with my uh, grief counselor at the time she really looked at um, the way that I was starting my day I was always starting it in a rush and being in a rush to go to work and she was saying that if you start it this way that's going to continue that behavior throughout the day and when we really explored that we really looked at it and there was really truth behind it so I put in steps of like you mentioned are you getting the right breakfast in the morning are you having enough time to yourself and then really giving yourself time and preparation to go to work just a little subtle change made a hell of a difference so time management I really can't sing from the rooftops enough so the link is in the bio please go and grab it guys and if you're not following Kim, it's Your Anxiety Toolkit on Instagram. Uh, anything else, Kim? No, that's it. Remember with the time management course, it doesn't mean you have to change your whole schedule. A lot of times it's just if there's one particular area that you want to master of your day, like you're saying. Um, so I don't want people to feel overwhelmed that I'm going to like change your whole day in that true. course. That's really true. You deciding what, what area of your day isn't working. So absolutely. Fantastic. Welcome. Thank you so much for spending time with the community. Really appreciate everything you do. And we'll do this again in a few weeks, but I'll keep in touch. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to DLC Live. Be sure to follow Dean on Instagram at DLC Anxiety. Check our website at DLCAnxiety.com and grab yourself a copy of our latest book, Greater Than Panic, on Amazon today. See you next time.